Amen. You may be seated as you're taking your seats. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 9. As you're turning there, uh, let me just say that uh, I, I don't even think it was uh, Sunday evening. I think I probably was already thinking this on Sunday afternoon. I was wondering whether or not I'd get a phone call from the session, uh, a member from the session saying, I'm afraid we're going to have to let you go. You, you just call the whole congregation stupid, <laughs> and, and we, we don't really need to be doing that, uh, e- even if you include yourself in that. Uh, so I'm very, very grateful for your tenderness and your kindness to me and allowing me to get wound up at times and call you stupid if I need to. And we all are, aren't we, when, we, when we're not seeking after the God of grace, when we are rejecting him and rejecting our identity in him. That was last week. Let's move to 1 Samuel chapter 9. Let's move to this week. Give your attention to the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. There was a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bechorath, son of Abiha, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. He had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, Take one of the young men with you and arise. Go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalishah, but they didn't find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, But they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but didn't find them. When they came to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let's go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there's a man of God in this city. He's a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let's go up there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to the servant, But but if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there's no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, Here, here I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I'll give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said. Come, let's go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? And they answered, He is. Behold, he's just ahead of you. Hurry. He's come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you'll find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city. And as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up from the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin. 
And you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He will, shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. Now when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here's the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? And Samuel answered, Saul, I'm the seer. Go up before me to the high place. For today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I'll let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't set your mind on them, for they've been found and for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjaminite, the, the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, Put it aside. So the cook took the leg of what, and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, See, what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. And as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he's passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto I've run across it numerous times in my now getting just about to be a quarter of a century's worth of ministry. I've run across this sort of reaction numerous times. It's what I might call humble idolatry. I don't mean that the ones who are evidencing this humble idolatry are anything other than professing believers, possessing saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet finding ourselves, by God's grace, to be in Christ savingly doesn't necessarily mean we will not commit idolatry, right? And I, there's a quote of Calvin that I like to paraphrase often. Our hearts are idol-making factories. Even as Christians, even as those who love the Lord Jesus Christ and seek to follow Him, we still will produce in our hearts substitutes. Whether it's a variant of the Christ that's revealed in Scripture or whether it's somebody else that we place a supreme importance in and, or whether it's, a, it's an ideal we're trying to reach, we all can come up with idols. We can make them whether we know they're there or not. The humble idolatry that I'm speaking of, it goes something like this. You're talking with a fellow believer. And this fellow believer is clearly, evidently, wrestling with something, going through something, struggling with something. Maybe it's a health issue, or, or maybe it's a job struggle, or, or maybe it's a relational issue, or, or you know, something along those lines. It's nothing exotic. It, it, it's nothing catastrophic. It's nothing that we might call monumental. 
And from, from, from big picture, it's, it's relatively a small thing. And yet it's real. And it's something that they're dealing with or having to deal with. And, and you're speaking with them. And you, you either say, I, I, brother or sister, I, I, let me let you know. I'm, I'm going to pray about this with you. Or you ask them, brother, sister, are you, are you praying about this? Are you taking this to the Lord in prayer? And the response, if you ask that question, comes back like this. God's got so many more, more important things to have to deal with than my small thing. He's got so many more important things to worry about than having to focus on what I'm dealing with. Now, when I hear that story, and I've heard it numerous times during these 25 years, when I hear it, the first thing that comes to mind is the title of a little book, excellent little book, by J.B. Phillips, published back in the 1950s. It's the title of that little book. It's the first thing that comes to, into my mind. Your God is too small. Your God is too small. If God can't be bothered by the little things because of all the big things He has on His plate, He's not God. He's not God. He's an idol of your mind. He's an idol of your heart. He's insufficient. No matter how well-intentioned you are in what you say, no matter how humble you, you, you may be in, in trying to say that, to try to say, you know, there, there are others he needs to pay attention to. You know, I, I get the humility. But brother or sister, if you say those sort of things, recognize your, your God is too small. Your God is not the, at least in the way you're framing it, your God is not the God of the Bible. Your God's most definitely not the God of 1 Samuel chapter 9. Most definitely, He's not the God of 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 15 through 17. It's an amazing passage, you can read it. But you know, you could probably cut those verses out and you could look, it, it reads just straight through. It's an intrusion, but that intrusion into the text, as one commentator says, illuminates the text and tells us all this is by God's design. Verse 15. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hands of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here's the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Ah, yes, this... This meeting in this city wasn't happenstance. This meeting in this city was by divine design. God was orchestrating this, right? If we believe this text, God orchestrated this. But how? Did, did God display in the heavenlies over the land of Benjamin this sign that said, Saul, you handsome devil. Don't worry about donkeys. Go up, meet Samuel, 
and have a kingdom. Was that blazing in neon in the sky? In an extraordinary fashion? No. How does God orchestrate this meeting? He does so, he does so by working through small things. The ordinary. God was at work in the ordinary, in the small stuff. Small stuff like what? Well, I'll read you the text and I'll give you uh, Lee's paraphrase. All right? Verse 3. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, Take one of the young men with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. Lee's paraphrase. Saul, those blasted donkeys have got out again. Get up, get a servant, go get them. God is orchestrating all these things. He's working through the ordinary. He's working through small things. The small thing of a bunch of aggravating animals. Now, I'm tempted not to use donkeys because it's fitting, but I'll try to restrain myself. Small stuff. Small stuff, notice too, like, you know, just further aggravation. He goes, right? He goes searching all over. Verse 4, and he passed through all this country and they did not find them. They passed through some more country and they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but he did not find them. Small things. Like frustration, like being on task and not finding what you're looking for. Guys, have you ever been in a grocery store and you've been given a list and you haven't been used to this grocery store and you don't know where things are and you're just kind of wandering around? Where in the world is the baking soda? What is baking soda, by the way? You know, and uh, you're going all over, you can't find it, and you're what? Frustrated. God was working through the small stuff, even the frustration and not being able to find some stupid donkeys. Oh, I'll use that word again, stupid. (laughs) Small stuff like frustration, small stuff like coming up empty, small stuff like verse 6. But he, the servant, said to him, Behold, there's a man of God in the city, and he is a man who's held in honor, and all that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Lee's paraphrase. Hey, Saul, don't give up so quickly. I got an idea. Don't give up yet. Small stuff. Like having a servant along with you, a friend along with you, and the friend just saying, Hey, I got another idea. There's something else we might do. Why don't we try that first before, before we call it quits? Small stuff. Small stuff like conversation. Small stuff like, continue, notice, Saul, we don't have anything to give him. We're out of bread, I don't have a present. And what does the guy do? He sticks his hand down in his pocket, starts rummaging around, and he finds what? Coin. Here I have a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I'll give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Lee's paraphrase. Hey, man, I've got you covered. i got you covered. Look, i got some money in my pocket. Here, here, we'll use this. You can pay me back later. Because actually I'm the servant and you're the guy who should have the money. And your dad's rich, by the way. Small stuff like pocket change. Small stuff like verse 11. As they went up 
the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? And they answered, He is. Behold, he's just ahead of you. Hurry. Small stuff like stopping, this might not be that small, knowing guys, but stopping and asking for a bit of information, or maybe directions, from a local. Small stuff. God is a God of small stuff. Small stuff as well as the stars. The grand and the minute. The, the ordinary. The everyday. We call it, we've got a fancy theological term for this. We call it providence. 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 The doctrine of providence, God working through, using, guiding all things, including the small stuff, to do His great glorious work for His glory and for His people's good. Maybe you're saying, well, okay, maybe Pastor Lee for some of those super important people like Samuel and Saul, right? No, yeah, yeah, God pay attention to, to their little small stuff. But how about for average folks like us? How about for me? I'm not a Samuel. I'm not Saul. How about for me? The wisdom writer, writer of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16, gives us these words, gives us the answer. The heart of the man plans his ways. But the Lord establishes His steps. Not His overall race, the big picture, but His what? Steps. One after another. Yes, we make plans, but who is the one working behind, under, and sometimes against those plans? God. He walks among the donkeys. He works through that blasted alarm clock. He's among, beside, underneath those frustrations. The car won't crank. He's working through, walking around, using that conversation at work at the water cooler. God is among us, moving, undergirding, using, directing. When I pull over finally and give up on my male pride, roll down the window and say, hey, could you tell me where such and such is? Yeah, I know I've got Google Maps, but you know they can take you to crazy places these days. Our Westminster Confession of Faith puts it this way in the chapter on providence. First paragraph. God, the great creator of all things, doth, love doth, love that old language, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least. 
by His most wise and holy providence, according to His infallible knowledge, and the free and immutable counsel of His own will, to the praise of His glory, the glory of His wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Providence. We can't read providence, typically, while it's happening. I wish I could. Wish you could. Wish we all could. But when we get in wrecks, when we're hungry and make this choice for this meal instead of that meal, when we're thinking, okay, now, how much is left, will be left in the checkbook if I make this sort of payment or do that? Uh, or we're calling or on the phone for what seems like an eternity, trying to get through to the doctor, trying to make the appointment. When we're sweeping, changing the oil, trimming the hedges. By the way, mine need trimming fiercely. In all that, we can't read what God's doing. But one day, one glorious, majestic day, when we find ourselves before the Lamb of God, we will look upon and understand how He has been upholding, directing, disposing, governing everything for His glory and our good and will praise Him for His wisdom, His power, His justice, goodness, and mercy. And it's that last one that I want you to see. Mercy. God's works of providence for His people or because he is merciful, he is tender, he is loving. This strikes me in what God said to Saul, Samuel about Saul. Verse 16. Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people of Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. He's ordering the donkeys. He's ordering the fruitless search for the donkeys. He's ordering uh, the servants having a... quarter of a shekel in his pocket. He's ordering having these women meeting these two guys and finding out where the seer is going to be. He is ordering and guiding and directing that all because of his love, mercy, and tenderness that he wants to show to his obstinate people, his stupid people. 1 Samuel 9 follows what? 1 Samuel 8. And what had God's people done in 1 Samuel 8? They had what? Rejected Yahweh as their king. And nevertheless, here God is bringing to them, and I know he saw, but put that aside for now, bringing to them this deliverer. 
You might not be faithful to your covenant vows, but God is. Tender providence. Yes, the big things, but tender providence in the small things too. Uh, keep your finger here. Flip over to uh, Colossians chapter 1. The men and the men's fellowship, we just are launching into a study of Colossians. It's, it's not too late to join us. And this Thursday night, we were working our way through chapter 1. And then there's this, this amazing passage where Paul is talking about the glories of Jesus Christ. And I just one thing I think it struck us all and I'll emphasize it once I get there, but let's start at verse 15, Colossians chapter 1. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. All things hold together. Not just the big things, but the small things. Including those electrons that are orbiting around a nucleus of an atom. If the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't concerned with the small things, we would just all go be flying off into oblivion. He is holding all things together. That means He is concerned about the big things of your life. But brothers and sisters, never think your God is too small, too weak to handle your little things. Back to 1 Samuel 9. I love one verse in this chapter. Verse 20. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't set your mind on them, for they have been found. Wow. God's interested in your stupid donkeys, too. He's interested in your small things. Christian, He loves you. Simply put, He loves you. Every struggle, every frustration, every big thing in your life, every small thing in your life. God is big enough to handle your small stuff, too. If you believe that, would you please say with your brothers and sisters, Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, no matter what the reason, by the moving of your Spirit, keep us from ever having a diminished view of you. Open our minds to your excellencies. 
Open our minds and our hearts to your greatness and your power and your wisdom and your holiness and your justice and your goodness and your mercy. Help us to entrust the big things in our life to you, yes. Heavenly Father, help us to entrust our wandering donkeys to you. Knowing that you love us knowing that you are working out your holy purposes, knowing that you are bringing about the purpose of the complete and full salvation of your people and this cosmos, working in the big and the small things of life. We ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that love you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.